This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, Zach McCreary. What's up, Mike? Happy to be here as always. Brian Murray. Hello. Before we get to the show this week, I've got two announcements. One, a very big one. IRCBpodcast.com has been the website that we've used for forever. Uh, it's always kind of just been like a blah website. I think for a while I created a bunch of these ugly pages to support things like the IF or the the uh, NFT shit list, as well as the comic book pronunciation guide. Um, and I decided, you know what, screw it. Uh, I've got access to this cool Squarespace thing. Now we've got a brand new website, ircbpodcast.com, where you can find really cool bi- a bio page. It's got all the people where you can listen to the show, our comic book pronunciation guide, the NFT shit list, as well as all of our new merch, um, all in one cool little website. You don't have to find all these special links. Everything is contained into one place. It's amazing. Check it out at ircbpodcast.com. Uh, we put a lot of work into making it look cool and sound cool uh so let us know what you think send us an email ircbpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to go to the website one more time ircbpodcast.com um the one other thing i want to talk about before we get into today's show is at the end of this month uh we are beginning a two-part series journeying into the world of transformers with the celebration of transformers number one coming out on october 4th uh by daniel warren johnson which i'm really excited about i really don't even care about transformers and yet here i am being very excited about transformers um at the end of this month we're gonna have a very special guest which we will announce in the near future to be talking about all of the transformers movies so i'm putting that out there into the universe if you want to be caught up and you want to hear our discussion and understand all of the frustrations that we have we with the Transformers movies, make sure you watch all of them and then tune in on the episode on uh, September 27th. It's going to be really fun. We're going to have a special guest. And then on October 4, we're going to be talking about Transformers comics. So just throwing that out there to give everyone a big heads up. Let's get into things, though. We're here to talk about comic books. And I have two legally mandated questions that I need to ask every single episode. That is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Zach. Oh, man, I have been great. Uh, it's been a it's been a good run. Had a fun birthday weekend. Met up with you and and Tom and and Matt from the from the Discord as yeah. well. It was a great time at ZoloCon. Had yeah. had some good beer. Got some fun comics. Yeah, I mean, we we were we were almost almost like used car carsman sold a bunch of carnage comics for some reason that guy just would not stop trying to sell us venom and carnage covers and we were like i have no interest and he's like but what if i sold you two of them for 250 dollars?" and we just kept shrugging at him and anyways it was a good time it was a really cool time and, and don't forget the uh the just random watchman number one sitting in a bin yeah that just unmarked unmarked totally cheap uh, unbelievable like it was just sitting there in like a regular plastic bag i was like who put these away did paul put these away there's no bags and boards <laughs> anyways anyways just a small dig at our good friend Polly. <laughs> he's proof listening he's gonna give xander all these bad numbers so that the sound episode sounds like shit yeah he's like Sorry. a ghost right now like he can hear us but we can't hear him so we can just torment him all we want <laughs> it's a good time anyways yeah. how, what have you been reading zach oh man recently it has been all junji ito all day because I nice. am prepping for spooky season for the comics that we love. And one of the things on the list is specifically Uzumaki by Junji Ito, like his big breakout story with uh, just the use of spirals as a horror element, which I thought was was fascinating. And man, that guy's art is just this interesting border between beautiful and grotesque mm-hmm. that I don't know how to explain any other way. Have, have any of you guys ever read any Junji Ito before or seen his stuff? Yeah. In fact, uh, if you go through our backlog, Nick and I did a mini-sode 
Aunt Uzumaki Ooh. at one point. Oh, mm-hmm. man. And uh, yeah, beautiful and grotesque is exactly the right way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's such a good read. I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And just he's, he did such a good job of starting you out. Like immediately, you know what's wrong, like that there is something off. But he but he does it in a story that is very personal because it starts out just dealing with the kid's parents, with Shuichi's parents. But then by the end of that story, like he he slowly goes from the micro to the macro. And it's just I mean, it's magnificently done. I've seen people call it his magnum opus, and I totally would agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been reading Uzumaki. It's it's phenomenal. I I really need to actually read that. I feel like the the Junji Ito that I've read has mostly been his some of his anthology work. I did pick up a copy of his book Censor that he did Mm -hmm. uh, very recently, which was about like hair flying everywhere. And it's like volcanic (laughs) ash. It's a a weird book. Very, very weird book. But it's um, all weird. (laughs) Exactly. That's a running theme. I know. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This one was particularly hairy, I guess. Um, Anyways, that's. Sounds good. I will have to put that on my list. Paul cut his audio. It's it's been what I <laughs> it's been it's been a book on my forever list. I just need to actually sit down and read it. Um, and now that I have access to like a good library, it's I think maybe it's time for Halloween. I can't just watch Hellraiser all, all month, so um, I'll have to read some weird Junji Ito book. Heck yeah! Two two fun things to go with that. There's a there is a an anime about to drop with Toonami sometime before the end of the year that right. looks legit. Second thing, do not watch the live action movie from the or like the early aughts because it is hot garbage it's on amazon (laughs) it is hot garbage okay so you've given me all the fuel that i need to sit down and watch this (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um well brian what about you how have you been uh, how have comic books been i've been good um for your west michigan weather watch uh fall is finally here it's not in the 90s anymore thank christ (laughs) that said my routine has not changed i'm still in the basement reading comics Mm. and uh, my my most recent acquisition has been a a book f- that I got from Silver Sprocket, uh, which I believe Mike you've talked about them before. Yeah. Uh, this is Cam Marshall's Matchmaker. It That's is so a very cute, very gay slice of life book. <laughs> it's it's something that I, I really enjoy because it's it's set in the year 2020 and actually like embraces the pandemic of it all instead of presenting like an alternate history where that just never happened because you know that's the thing that we're gonna have a lot of generational trauma around and i think it's important <laughs> to address it yeah yeah fair but yeah I, I haven't read all of it yet it's uh it's very much like a kind of like the old sunday funnies where like there, there's kind of an overarching story but realistically you could just pick up and read any page out of this book and get it and laugh and love these characters uh highly highly recommend picking this one up if you can no that sounds really fun i'm just i'm looking at some of the the art that's that's for this book and it's very it's like super cute like ultra cute in a very good way like i i really like the just the the softness i guess Mm -hmm. of of the art style seen on the preview pages um i'll definitely have to give this a look because i just did a a big order of silver sprocket books a couple weeks ago but um there's always more books to buy from them because they they're constantly putting out really good stuff yeah unfortunately like i i pre-ordered this so i Mm -hmm. don't remember where i heard about it i don't remember how long ago that was (laughs) just like a gift from past Brian to me. Right. That's the best. That's the best. That's, that's what happens to me with all of the Kickstarters that I back. It's like, I yeah. don't remember <laughs> when I said yes to this, but hey, look, now there's a book in the mail. 
admittedly, I don't think I've heard of Silver Sprocket, so I'm going to have to do some research. And and uh, I mean, this is two people here giving me thumbs up on products from Silver Sprocket. I'm yeah. going to have to look into that. Yeah, I, you know, I'll say I've read uh, like one of the books that I really, really love from them is a book that I read recently called Girl Juice by Benji Nate, which is like a very funny kind of little small stories like packed into one book about these four girls that live in a house together. Um, but like, I feel like their style of comics is very like alternate comics with an X, you know, like they, they lean on more like zine style comics. And when they do like hardcover and like bigger bound books, they're like very, very high quality. So um, yeah, you really can't go wrong, but you gotta, you gotta think about it from like a, they're going to be delivering books that are more on the slice of life style of style of things. Maybe cool. something that's, if it is action oriented, has a very like heart or strong heart at the center of it versus just like, action for action's sake like this is not mighty Morphin power rangers this is <laughs> mecca but like it's two guys that are like deeply in love with each other that have to kill each other or the universe ends like Ooh. that kind of stuff which is a pretty standard mecca trope uh, yeah i guess Granted. <laughs> i guess that was a bad way to describe <laughs> it uh but yeah yeah anyways silver sprocket's a great publisher let me talk about a book that I read uh, recently. I read Kill Your Darlings, number one. This is by Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan with art by Bob Quinn, letters by John J. Hill. And this is a debut book from these two creators at Image. Had a lot of hype behind it, at least like in the circles of, of Internet that I follow in. Seems like a lot of people were really digging this book. Danny in particular on the show said it was really cool. I think he talked to the creators Um and uh, I thought I think in the Grand Rapids area, there was a signing very recently. So like a lot of hype around this book, which is cool. Um, the synopsis for it is an eight year old Rose loves nothing more than to play pretend in a magical land of her creation. To her, that world is as real as our own from her fluffy friends to the terrible evil that lurks at the center of it all. In, in one night, the line between fantasy and reality will disappear and ancient hunger will feed again. And Rose will be pulled into a gruesome saga that began centuries before her birth. Um Overall, this is a fun book, kind of, uh, in the sense that it goes from kind of like, oh, this little girl's just trying to make the best out of life to, oh, what unspeakable horrors are about to befall this little girl. And I think like there is a question of like, this is a story about an eight year old girl. She's kind of doing things that I wouldn't think an eight year old is capable of, or maybe I just underestimate eight year olds. But other overall, I was able to like look past all of that to see what this was, which is a really interesting story about when fantasy comes to life, how a child deals with that and the ramifications of just like, is this trauma? Is this real life? Bob Quinn does a really good job on the art in this book. It's a lot of really cinematic moments that super draw you into the story especially in like the scarier moments, which happen more in the second half of the book. I wouldn't say this is a horror book by any means, but it definitely tries to keep you on the edge of your seat, knowing that there is going to be another shoe that drops that is going to be some sort of awful thing, um, especially again in the second half of this book. Some stuff happens that I was kind of like, oh, so there's going to be no fun in this book. It's just going to be <laughs> trauma, trauma, trauma. But yeah, the really gruesome moments are very gruesome. Um, but this book overall looks pretty solid. Um, the colors are super muted, which I don't know if that was an intentional style choice or if that was trying to match the modern day movie world where like everything is kind of like toned down a little bit in terms of color. Um, but again, that did add to like the cinematic feel of everything. Like everything was very heavily shadowed. Um, a lot of the characters had a lot of very strong expressions that were shadowed heavily. Like a lot of really strong color work went into this book, but all of the colors were just overall muted. Um, so yeah, I think this book has me on the hook for a second issue, but 
I don't know if I'm like dedicated, dedicated. I really need to see how this this hook from this first issue plays out before I decide if I'm going to keep up with this for the long term. This has been a very like confusing book that has been going around our chats mm-hmm. because when I hear Kill Your Darlings, I think of the movie, mm-hmm. which shout out to Austin Bunn, one of my college writing professors, as uh, the story writer for that movie. But you're talking about this book and all I can see is like Daniel Radcliffe playing Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, this is a totally different story. I, I, Very you know, different and story. I, I wonder if another title could have been used because I think if you just search for Kill Your Darlings, you do just get the movie because there's some big names attached to it. I don't know. But yeah, if anybody else out there read that, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on it because again, I feel like I'm very in the middle leaning positive for this book, but I'm curious. I I think again, the second issue will really fully decide how I feel about the book on the whole. So Uh, Zach, what else did you read? You said you read another Junji Ito book. Uh, What else did you have on your list? Yeah, I I just kept the train of rolling because I thought it would be fun to read something like Uzumaki and then follow it up with the other side of Junji Ito. Because the thing that I really like about him is that as a person, he is not like this macabre crypt keeper. He's actually this super normal guy who's very humble, very funny, loves cats. Mm -hmm. And he wrote an entire manga called Junji Ito's Cat Diary, Mm -hmm. Yan and Mu, which is literally the story of when he and his fiance at the time, now wife, moved in together and she was like, oh, by the way, I brought my cat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he was not happy about it. (laughs) He did not want the cat. And then she convinced him to get another cat. And he wasn't happy about that either. Mm -hmm. But then as the story goes on, it's mostly about cats just being cats and him falling in love with them and craving their approval and their love. Uh And it's so damn cute (laughs) and so charming. And yet at the same time, he still manages to like slide in that weird Junji Ito kind of grotesquery. Like his fiance never has pupils. It's just white eyes. And Mm. they're always like dark around. Like it's like she's possessed at all times. It's like stuff like that. And the cats, (laughs) the cats are cute. But at the same time, you're like something there's something off with those cats. Right. You know, right. it's I love it. I love like the way that he plays with his art style because he he does tend to inject a little bit of humor into his stuff. It's always very slight, but it's there. And this one, because of what it is, he just let it go wild. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that his art is like so detailed mm-hmm. that it really it lends itself to horror so much that when he's not drawing horror it's still a little horrific yeah it's right. still creepy yeah <laughs> there's one page out of this i i've never read this but i've always meant to um again like most junji ito stuff i've been meaning to read it for forever but there's one panel in particular that always sticks out about this book of the cat biting onto his hand and it looks like it is sucking every <laughs> like ounce of blood out of his body in that bite because like again it is just a story about a cat and the cat yeah. happens to bite him but he makes it look like this thing is a monster (laughs) i I love it it's amazing it's amazing this was actually the first thing i ever read by him because it just got somebody just mentioned it to me and i was like who's junji ito and they explained him and Mm -hmm. then handed me this book and that's actually what made me after reading this go back and read his is like the stuff that he is known for is uh-huh. horror. So I started with him just loving cats. Yeah. Brian found that panel and dumped it in the discord. That's awesome. It's um, beautiful. It's such a, that, that is what having cats is like sometimes. <laughs> <I know>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
um well let me talk about one more book before we get into the top of our pile um i also read the call number one i've been trying to read all these number ones that i've been buying so i read it uh the call number one this is by kelly thompson uh matia de Ulis, i think and letters by hassan otmani elhow um this is the most uncanny valley book that you can buy but i still really really dug it um kelly thompson basically said what if some teens took their drama got into some multi-dimensional shenanigans and i'm here for it right this book opens on a very intense moment that is absolutely gorgeous deulis's art is like i said it's uncanny valley in that it's so perfect except for when it's not that like I don't know. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But on the whole, like him drawing monster, them drawing monsters is amazing. Like these humongous beasts from another dimension. Really, really cool. Sometimes faces, not so much. Uh, but this first issue follows five friends as they go to shoot a short film at the, quote, forbidden rock in their town at four in the morning. It's forbidden in that when you go out there, the tide comes in and it basically makes it impossible to come back and survive. Um, so you're not supposed to go out there. Um, but of course, they go out there during low tide to see if they can shoot their short film before the tide comes in. And um, as the readers, though, we know that 12 hours later, something big and bad happens because the book opens with that big, bad thing. Um, so how do we get from 4 a.m. shenanigans to the 4 p.m. end of the world? And what about this interpersonal drama of these teens? And was there mention of a missing friend? Like all of this kind of unpacks itself over a very what I thought was really natural conversation between these friends as they're walking to this rock. Like Kelly Thompson definitely has like a lot of teen angst or something that she needs to unpack. And this book is perfect for it. Um, like she's got these very strong characters that she's defined and she really wants to make them upset at each other. And of course, setting the book at four in the morning where everybody's tired, everybody's pissed about something like it allows for these headbutts where everyone goes can a can at the end of the scene say, oh, sorry, I was just tired, um, which I, I really like that that mechanic in her storytelling. And again, the art here is kind of out there like it feels very close to realistic 90% of the time at, but every once in a while you get like a face or an eye that kind of looks off and you kind of get pulled out of the book um, I think we all know this has happened with other creators like uh, Isad Rebic, Salvador LaRocca, Greg Land where like they draw in this way that feels hyper realistic except for when it's not and you go oh my god what is that monstrosity it looks close enough but just not not enough for me to think that's okay. Um, but really, I like the art. And the, fir the, the first few pages, like I said, with this disaster moment are absolutely gorgeous. If you look at any preview site, I think this is in that preview. But yeah, this being a five-issue miniseries is very interesting to me, not only because I think this, is, this could go on forever. Like, we don't need to have books that go on for forever, even like 50 issues. It's okay to have books end. But I think that with this being a five-issue series, I, I'm really excited to see how Thompson is able to take all of the drama and all of the characters that she's established and wrap up their bullshit in five issues with this book, not being like an oversized, issue, I think it's like 32 pages. It's going to be interesting to see how she draws everything out and together with the first step into the next issue with the hook being this very interesting thing that happens that I don't want to spoil. Um, but yeah, I think this could be like eight or 12 issues, but with five, it's going to be really cool to see how she steps around and gets all the pieces to play together um, by the end. So very much looking forward to the rest of this. Like Kelly Thompson at this point, she's done a Gambit and Rogue book that I can't help but love for the rest of my life. And then Black Cloak, which is maybe one of the best image books God, that's come that out over the last so five or six years. It's it's all wins for me. So I'm, I'm excited to see where, where this series goes. Did either it's of you good. get a chance to check this book out this week? I don't, I, it just dropped. So I understand if you didn't. No, I mean, I'm, a, I'm like eight months behind on my backlog. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
which for me is actually not bad. Right, <laughs> right, cool. Actually, both of both of your books are in my immediate queue because they, like I have this huge backlog, but sometimes when stuff drops, I just push it to the front, and both of those are in my post Uzumaki world. Like the, mm-hmm. I, I intend to read them at some point this week, so I'm I'm very happy that you liked them because that makes me want to read them more. <laughs> awesome, yeah, no, that's I I definitely feel like again things may change drastically in issue two we all know that that is the case sometimes when it comes to image books but um i really like the way that these two set themselves up and i i trust kelly thompson like i said so uh i think i'm subscribed to her Substack, so i think i can read number two right now but i'll probably just wait we'll see um Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about books that we are excited for, comics that are on the top of our pile. Before we get into talking about our own top of our pile picks, we've got some folks hanging out with us on Discord, these fantastic human beings, and they're reading some books too. This week, Kevin is reading Ultimate Invasion number two and three. Danny is reading ba- Batman Gargoyle of Gotham number one. How many Batman books are there? Can someone give me a number on that? Matt is reading Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. And Hugh is reading Children of the Vault number two. I'm also reading Children of the Vault number two, um, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Instead, I'm going to kick things over to Brian. What it's on the tap of your pile this week. Uh, I'm going to be checking out probably immediately after this episode. uh, Starfinder number two. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I don't know exactly when it came out. I I get my comics delivered from the shop once a month because... I kept not driving into the shop to get them and they were getting mad at me. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and, and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, I really enjoyed the first issue of Starfinder. Um, it, ha- it, it felt very much like the game uh, in that, you know, you've got like this little rat man and the giant lizard <laughs> man and everybody is like bickering and getting up to shenanigans in the first issue, they accepted their quest as as any good adventuring party would do. Right. Uh, they have to go make first contact with an alien civilization and bring them essentially hyperspace technology. Uh, this, of course, does not go well. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing like what complications the metaphorical GM throws at them. Right. In, issue number two so so does the starfinder society sorry we're going into a tabletop rpg talk really quick folks so you know take the headphones out fast forward whatever in starfinder society world is there not like a star trek paradigm of like do not influence do not alter the ways of the people of the civilizations right because that's a thing in star trek but i don't remember if that's a thing in starfinder uh i mean it's it's not like the the prime directive that's what it is yeah yeah. It's 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 kind of like this. This civilization has been deemed worthy by mm. the machine god Triune of receiving drift technology. Okay. Um, okay. But because of some some big Starfinder canon events, the drift is now like a chaotic, unpredictable place, mm-hmm. and so they can't just beam the information to these people anymore. They have to actually send folks to deliver, like a representative of the machine god. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll talk after Brian. I have more questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> cool. Um, Zach, what about you? What are, what are, or I guess let me talk about what I'm, what I'm reading and then we'll, we'll jump over to you. I forgot we're changing the order of things. Um, <laughs> I'm reading Avengers Inc. Number one, uh, which is a fucking wild pick. If you ask me, because you probably have never heard me really say, I want to read the Avengers on this podcast, but um, Al Ewing's on writing Leonard Kirk's on art colors by Alex Sinclair. I have no idea what is going on in the Avengers world. However, Al Ewing is on writing. And if I know anything about Al Ewing, 
I, I'm going to get caught up. This book's going to be awesome and it's going to make me feel something. So let's try this new number one. Cause I've been looking at stuff like there's a new, there's a new Iceman book that came out that I just have no interest in. Cause Cena Grace isn't writing it. There's a couple of other X books that I'm just not even picking up. This whole fall of X thing has me in like a depressive, like a depressive slump. I just don't want to read big two books right now. Um, there's even a new daredevil number one by Saladin Ahmed that I did not decide to pick up, pick up because I'm just like, I don't even know who or what Daredevil is nowadays. So yeah, I'm going to try this new book with with Mr. Ewing on writing. See if I can get myself to care about Janet Van Dyne as she goes about avenging or avengering or whatever you want to call it in some different way, because that's kind of the pitch of this book. But again, if anyone's going to get me to care about the Avengers, it's probably Al Ewing. So yeah, we're going to see where this book goes. I don't know if anybody else out there has any idea what's going on. I, I imagine somebody else is reading Avengers, but I don't know anybody like on the discord server or anybody on the show that has read Avengers over the, in the, like the last five or six years. So it's going to yeah, be interesting. If only, if only we could hear Paul. I mean, he's a huge Avengers fan. Oh yeah. Paul's screaming <laughs> in the background right now. We can see him like he knows all this stuff, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to try it see if I like it. Um, it's just like the, the Philip Kennedy Johnson, incredible Hulk. Like I, every month I'm like, Oh, I don't even know if I want to read this. And then I sit down and read it and I go, Oh, right. These people know what they're doing. This is a pretty good book. So We'll see. I, I'm ho- I have high hopes for Al Ewing on this book. Yeah, I mean, I never had any interest in a Hulk book until Immortal Hulk. Exactly. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, that book kind of redefined the Hulk entirely mm-hmm. for me as mm-hmm. a reader. And uh, I mean, before that, Peter David was like my guy when it came to the Hulk. But man, Al Ewing really put his stamp on that character. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of books that are horrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Um well, well, I just one last note. This is why I'm excited to read Ewing's Thor book, right? Like his new Ooh, Thor book yeah. that he said he's like I want to do the same thing I did with the Hulk with Thor and I'm like sign me up. I don't even care what you're going to do. Like if you can top that J Michael Shazinski run from way back in the day and I'm certain that you can. Um let's do it completely. So, uh Zach, what about you? What what weird book are you reading or excited for? It's uh, this one isn't too weird. I'm backing off the weird now because I got enough of that this week. <laughs> and, uh, Something nice I, and cuddly. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I am looking to catch up on Void Rivals. I read the first issue when it came out and it really intrigued me, especially because it was kind of like the the opening salvo of what Skybound is going to do with this new, you know, Transformers. What are they calling that universe? The uh, IP farm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially with this giant IP farm. No, I know they have a name for their universe, but whatever. Yeah, That's... <laughs> I can't think of it. But yeah, including like the Transformers and all these other IP. But uh, I thought that the first issue was really interesting. I liked where it was going, but I've just been so busy reading other stuff, uh, you know, for podcasting that I haven't had the chance to check out issues two and three. So mm-hmm. one of my things is I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the first one again and then just go through number two and number three, see where the story is going. Um, Kirkman, I mean, Robert Kirkman, I like Kirkman's writing, but he gets lost in the weeds sometimes. But because it's early in the run, it'll be good for mm-hmm. like 10 issues and then he'll lose himself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens. But I also, I love Lorenzo De Felici's art. Yeah. And it's just, it's gorgeous. And it was, it was De Felici that did Chroma not, not too long mm-hmm. ago. And mm-hmm. that book just made me a fan. It's like solidified that. And so like, I'm really enjoying the art of the book. The story will hopefully at least be good for a handful of issues. And uh, I hope that uh, one through three are good. Well, what's interesting is I heard that Void Rivals only touches on the like 
spoilers for transform or for, for not transform spoilers for void rivals number one by the way but the, mm. there is a tie-in to transformers right yeah um mm-hmm. and i hear that after issue one they just go in a different direction they're like yeah transformers exist in this universe but the rest of the story is independent i i think i haven't read That's- it that's what I've heard, too, that it's not a Transformers story. It was basically put there to let you know that this is happening in the same universe as Transformers. It was kind of the big reveal moment, you know, like, right, right, hey, right. guess what? This is all a thing together. Not necessarily at the same time, you know, maybe someday, but it's all in the same universe. It's a shared universe. Give us all your money. Yeah, it's like the like the the G.I. Joe teaser at the end of the Transformers Beast Wars movie. Oh, God. Spoilers What's for there? the movie that I'm going to eventually watch, Brian. <laughs> oh yeah, at the at the the post credits of the that movie, the human main character is confronted by a, a shadowy government organization that's like, "We think you'd be perfect for for our team." Mm-hmm. And then he looks well, at the at the card and it says GI Joe on it. <laughs> Listen, if you have a problem with us spoiling Transformers on this show, email us at ircppodcast@gmail.com. <laughs> just just I'm going to just say that. I know that the Transformers episodes are like next month, but just curious, Brian, thumbs up or thumbs down on Beast Wars cuz I'm I don't is it worth watching? It's the best one since the first one. Ooh. Wow. Wow. That's 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 insane to me. Yeah. Okay, but listen, we're doing that at the end of this month. I promise everybody, <laughs> Brian's on that episode. It's going to be a blast. But anyways, uh, let's let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about... <laughs> this is all Zach's idea, so I'm just going to put that at the forefront. We're giving different, I guess, properties the IDW treatment. What would it look like? What would it look like for us to take an existing property, give it the, quote, IDW treatment? So we're going to talk about all that and more when we come back right after this. Before we get to the second half of the show, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping for folks at home. Remember, you can always check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads. We've got a YouTube channel. All that stuff is in the show notes. So make sure to subscribe, share, tell your friends. It really does a lot to spread the word of IRCB. I mean, we are the best comic book podcast for regular comic fans. And I think you should tell all your regular comic fans how awesome we are. Um, the other thing I want to say is we've got our Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Your support makes this show happen. It puts a little bit of money in people's pockets. It gets some content out there that you wouldn't normally have, such as a better Batmobile, giant days of our lives, so much more. And just a reminder, I think I said this last episode uh, but you can follow us along for regular free posts that we're going to be doing we're going to be posting things kind of on our public feed on patreon you can go there subscribe for no cost today at patreon.com slash ircb podcast to get updates on top of our pile posts and so much other stuff we do regular public stuff all the time so let's get into the show today we're talking about giving properties the idw treatment um i'm going to throw this over to zach since this was his genius child idea zach tell us a little bit about what this is and maybe kick us off with one of your properties that you want to give the idw treatment yeah man so and i mean this is no disrespect to idw but when i think of idw i think of hey what's that thing that people liked when they were eight let's do that again and make a bunch of amazing comic series out of it. And right, often right. that is exactly what happens. We mm-hmm. got a lot of great issues like Transformers and, and Ninja Turtles. And was Ghostbusters on IDW? Ghostbusters, Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Like they are good at doing that. And, they, you know, and 
there is there's the market for it and the thing is they they do it well and they pay respect to that ip and they bring great creators on to put great books out and so i thought what ip are out there that haven't been farmed yet that would be a really cool you know that maybe that we loved as kids that would we would love to see get that idw treatment and sure. get a new breath of life and so i chose and this was the one that i st- i thought of immediately when uh, when I had this idea, which is why I pr- proposed it, is BattleTech slash Mech Warrior. If any, is anyone here? <laughs> if, if, I have if, no if you, idea what this is. <laughs> oh man, I loved this stuff as a as a teenager. So, just to give you an idea, this it's a series of tabletop war games, mech battling video games, and a series of novels that have existed since the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And the, the licenses have been passed around. It was originally this company called Fasa Corp. Uh, I think Tops actually has it now. Okay. Um, but the IP, it doesn't get a lot of attention outside of like the most ardent fan base, and it deserves new eyes. There's over a hundred novels in this series and it's uh-huh. and it has spanned like thousands of years of mech fighting and when i'm talking mechs it's not like you expect with like humanoid mechs like a like a gundam or things like that this is like machines of death and and, and they are just like hulking masses of weaponry and in the game it's really important to know your heat like where your heat is at and your ammunition and all that stuff and the stories like I, I didn't play the games as much as I read the stories and I okay. loved the series of novels. And that's kind of where I'm going with this, because think like feudal European society with like hereditary rulers and a caste system like mech warriors are like knights, basically, but like on a galactic scale with hundreds of worlds. All it, uh, all the war is waged not only with soldiers, with lasers, but with those enormous hulking mechs. But again, there's the codes of honor and valor, etc. Those are very present. And there's a lot of political intrigue between the royal families of these different sections of the galaxy that are all cordoned off into like the Lyran Alliance and the Federated Commonwealth and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's it was so good. I jumped in. So like my favorite section is this section of history in Battletech called the Clan Wars, where basically this. So think of think of King Arthur takes his army and leaves medieval england and now nowadays comes back out of nowhere and has better technology and has warriors that are superior and just wrecks ass immediately and is like we came back to take back control and we're gonna fix things and we're gonna put it right and it's a completely like warrior-based society that's basically what this is this guy alexander kerensky who was like the great leader of the 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 galactic league or the the star league it was called Mm -hmm. he uh, like he took his army and left they left and went into the periphery which is like outside of the inner sphere which is like where all this stuff takes place Mm -hmm. and everyone and, and it became it got to a point where it just became mythology and then one day these these guys, these hulking monsters of men just show up. They are better than the people. They're better warriors. The mechs are superior. And at first, no one knows what the hell is going on. And then slowly they start to piece together that, oh, this is like the blood of Kerensky. And that's what the trilogy is called, the blood of Kerensky trilogy. Okay. And it is this story about Kerensky's men deciding like now's the time to go back and rebuild the Star League. Interesting. And they're going to do it by any means necessary. And they start taking over planets. I think that's where you start 
with this in that point of the history because it's such a good story. Mm-hmm. I think that that could be a good mini series, maybe maxi series. I'd say you got to give it like 12 to 20 issues. It's got to be somewhere in there at least. It can't be super short mm-hmm. because there's so much that happens and there's so many interesting characters. Right. Um, so I would say I think that Battletech and MechWarrior has so many amazing stories and has so many so much they have legs. This could go on forever if you put the right writers on and maybe just let them go nuts. Like I, th- I think start in the blood of Kerensky and then mm-hmm. just let people do what they want and okay. play with the stories, play with the characters, play with the worlds. But initially that, that, that initial series, I want Jonathan Hickman to helm the whole thing because he is such, <laughs> he is such a blueprint guy and sure. he's so good at building this kind of stuff. I want him to take what Michael A. Stackpole did for Battletech books and be like that guy and, sure. and helm the whole thing. And I want that first arc to have Nick Dragata. I want I want East for East <laughs> East of West team back together for uh, the blood of Corinth. Dream team. Gotcha. Yeah. You you've sold me with the mention of Stackpole because I grew up reading the X Wing books. Heck yeah. Right. So I, I was gonna say this sounds to me a lot like the Thrawn trilogy. <laughs> like oh, yeah. with with I don't know. I don't know, Brian, yeah, if no, that makes yeah. any sense, with, right? With the uh returning conqueror from beyond the stars yeah yeah absolutely i mean yeah maybe it's just a, a trope that many people have used but it's sci-fi yeah exactly <laughs> but this this sounds really cool i mean like i feel like there's something always attractive about like mecha whether it's it's mm-hmm. humanoid gundam style or even just like these crazy just machines of death right like the armored core series the video game series is popular right. for a reason right um and I, I mean, I heard the new Armored Core is a lot of fun, but I only watched one YouTube video and it was, you know, video game donkey. So I don't know if that's actually a, re- a way to judge it. I'm not a masochist, so I'm not picking it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this this sounds like it could have legs. Like clearly you're, what you're saying is like basically there is enough lore already established in so much. dozens, if not, you said hundreds of books. It's over 100 novels. Um, yeah. yeah. So like easily tons and tons of stories you could pull from. And, you know, I think the, the idea of giving something this IDW treatment is to China to take it compact it and find like the actual pure like story that is within right because a lot of right. a lot of the times when we think about these ips that i think other like companies like idw pick up like there is a ton of peripheral stuff that could get included in but it's a matter of just someone finding that and finding like the sweet spot between let's call back to these things that people may have known like in gi joe let's bring these characters into the story but also let's tell something that is moderately unique it still uses all of the fundamentals that make this series good but Mm -hmm. it is taken in a slightly different direction like i think that's how they approach teenage mutant ninja turtles i think when they had more than meets the eye for instance that series that they did with with transformers probably one of the coolest transformer stories you could ever read and they're barely even go they barely even go into like action transformers mode where optimus prime needs to drive around as a truck like I don't even know how you do that well in a comic, but the Transformers comics that more than meets the eye series took what made Transformers cool, which is a lot of their insanity lore and tried to like solidify it into this character develop uh, development story, um, which I think a lot of the fans wanted. Obviously, it went on for 12, 15 volumes or something like that. So like it was mm-hmm. popular. Um, but yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I think this battle Mac battle tech thing has legs probably i this makes me think that one of my picks should have just been halo why not make halo <laughs> comics and i think they did i think somebody tried to at one point um and they oh, didn't yeah. go very well but who knows i think that is the key that also with battletech is if you're playing the video games the mech warrior video games are were a ton of fun you're just running around in mech mm-hmm. but in the books 
yes, the the combat is important because it's part of the culture, but the intrigue and the characters, like the espionage and the intrigue and all that kind of stuff, and and the relationships was really what made the stories fantastic. Yeah. So that's totally it's very similar to what you were saying. Mm-hmm. You could focus on that aspect, throw in some cool battle mech stuff here and there. Mm-hmm. It's got legs. If you are thinking about picking up the the BattleTech video games, I will just warn you that it very much does feel like you're controlling a 15 ton killing machine. Oh like, yeah, <laughs> it is not fast paced. You have you have to to manage like in the at least in the latest BattleTech game, which is the one I played most recently. Uh, you have to you have a different stick to control your torso versus your legs. Mm-hmm. So what? you could like spin the torso around and use the legs to maneuver. And that was when I stopped playing it because that was <laughs> too much for my little brain to handle. It, it <laughs> is. It's it is a war simulator. It is not like a like an armored core. Where it's fast paced action. Right, right. You are yeah. in a giant tank and you have to figure out the heat of your weaponry and your ammunition. And you got to be smart about where you're going and what you're doing with whatever mech you choose. It's a it's pretty intricate. See, this is why the Power Rangers had it right. You know, five folks inside of a machine, right? This should be a <laughs> five-player game where you control a single mech. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just going crazy here. Something about that Starfinder mech combat we did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind of cool. Anyways, that's a different conversation. Brian, <laughs> tell us about one of the properties you were thinking about when giving the IDW treatment. I I would love it if they could give us a miniseries where they readapt uh, the original Jurassic Park book. Ooh. So not the movie. I want a book adaptation because the the, the movie and the book, I I personally love them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie is a very good adaptation of the concept of Jurassic Park, but there are so many differences that at times they don't even feel like the same property. Right. Like right. In in the in the movie, John Hammond is this like Walt Disney eccentric billionaire type who's very just much just like a a friendly happy old man Mm -hmm. whereas in the book he's very much a walt disney type um where he is a cutthroat capitalist (laughs) who does not care what happens to people so long as he can make money right right um and just like the 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 all the very different ways that these diverge i would love it if Crichton's novel could 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 reach a wider audience so when, when i talk about how there's like literally what looks like dot matrix printouts in the book mm-hmm. of like things that would have come off of the the in-gen system in 1990 mm-hmm. like I, I would love it if anyone knew what i was talking about <laughs> <laughs> uh so maybe that's a little bit selfish of me maybe i just want this so that you know i have somebody to talk to right but I do think that it's like a, it, it it it's a way to take something that is familiar to people and to give them a different version of it without requiring them to read what is admittedly some pretty dry prose. Sure. What's interesting about that is that like we've seen tons and tons and tons of you know novel adaptations, right? Like I don't know if you ever got a chance to read the Game of Thrones like novelization adaptations. Um, and they were they're pretty dry because they tried to be very like I, I think they tried to include as much of the stuff that was in the, the books as possible, with the exception of like multi page multi page descriptions of food and stuff like that. But um 
it's interesting to see, like, I think we've seen decades and decades of book adaptations. And I think over time, they've gotten better. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see if somebody could take what you said is kind of dry prose and stuff and turn it into fast action comics without turning it into Jurassic Park, the movie. Right. Because I think like what you're getting at is you want like that more like acceptable and maybe I guess digestible version of that book without having to say, Hey, read this novel. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause, cause I recognize that ask somebody to read a novel from 1989 or whatever mm-hmm. is kind of a big ask. Sure. There are definitely things in it that have not aged well. Uh, and so I'd be curious, like if, if an annotation were to happen, would they update the setting or would it be set still in 89? And if they mm. were to update the setting, then what would that change right. about the story? I'm curious, Brian, like with the amount of knowledge that has changed about what dinosaurs looked like and things like that in the time since Crichton wrote the book and in the time since the movie, would you want would you want to keep that like traditional style, like that traditional look of what we used to think of dinosaurs as? Or would you want to update it with like just let the artist go nuts with feathers and stuff like that and, you know, get a little crazy. Like, where would you fall in that? Yeah. I mean, it depends on if we're changing the time at all, uh, because a big part of Jurassic park is that their dinosaurs are not actually dinosaurs. They are fragmented dinosaur DNA that they have slapped together with frog DNA and Mm -hmm, crocodile DNA and whatever they could get their hands on to make what passed for a dinosaur in 1990. And so, if, if it were still set in that time, I imagine that is what they would have done still. Mm-hmm. So they, I think they would still probably look like they did in the movie. But if we were doing like a Jurassic Park, but it's 2023, then I would I would love it if they could. Yeah, like you said, go wild with feathers and different mm-hmm. color patterns and stuff like that. It's interesting because I think that like when you look at the like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers adaptation that they did, the the latest one, they did take like the 90s characters and kind of move them into the modern day, which I think is a really mm-hmm. bold choice because then you no longer need communicators. Everyone's got cell phones, right? Like there, there's these technological advances that kind of modify the story. But I think at the end of the day, the heart is still there, right? There's still mm-hmm. a mad scientist. There's still this Walt Disney capitalist. There's still these other scientists that are trying to just see what they're being told right and i say mad scientist because wasn't there the guy who was who's like a minor character in the movie but it's actually like a major player in the jurassic park stories he's the guy who's actually like the central scientist of the the place that they, they uh, go talking, to talking about henry Wu. yes henry Wu. yes all those things i think can still exist if they fast forward it to 2023 so it'd be interesting to see how that would play yeah. out like with a 20 year time difference it's very funny that he became such a major player in the Jurassic World movies mm-hmm. yeah. because in Jurassic Park, he is unceremoniously gutted by a velociraptor. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, I guess the last question here is, do you see this as like a would you see this as like a maxi series, an ongoing series or just like a novel adaptation after adaptation or something else? Yeah, I, I see this as being like a, a five or six issue novel adaptation nice uh maybe adapt the lost world after that okay it'd be nice to get like an actual adaptation of the lost world because the movie was not it was a little different yeah there were key characters in the book that are absent from the film (laughs) like a lot of them actually (laughs) now to think about it yeah 
Cool. Well, let me let me talk about. So I I was thinking about this topic, um, and I broke kind of my ideas up into two categories, which is well, duh, this seems like an obvious choice for an adaptation, and this is stupid as hell choice. Um, but <laughs> I still wanted to present it to you guys. Um, I guess the question now is, which would you prefer I dive into the well, duh section or the this is stupid as hell section? I mean, I want stupid. I always want stupid. Stupid is okay. fun. I'm getting a nod from both of you. Okay, so my well, duh section full of some fun adventurous stuff my stupid as hell one is an ip that probably should never be added adapted beyond its original media and that is law and order <laughs> and the reason why i think law and order would make for a good like idw treatment series is one law and order just like the tv series has a potential to go on for forever right I imagine a procedural fucking crime series all with all new characters. You don't have to adapt anything from the TV show because they're just cops. They're just people, whatever, solving crimes. So like you can swap out the folks like every once in a while, maybe every season of this comic series, we get like 10 issues a year and we get like new characters every season or like only a couple transfer over. There's always the same captain and we just get new recruits or whatever. We could go back in time. We can go forward in time. We can go wherever we want each season. Um, and they're just solving crimes that are kind of pulled right out of the headlines right? Let's look at the headlines that happened in 2021, 2020, and pull that into a story that we're going to write in 2023, where we have the murder, we have the suspect, we have the, the mystery of it all, we add in some pizzazz, because this has to be an interesting story. Boom, each issue is like, or maybe we do like six issues a year. I think this is my original pitch. Six issues a year. They're oversized. So we get one every other month. But it's like 48 pages of procedural cop drama. There's a cold open, there's the crime solving, we get the bad guy, or we don't. Maybe there's an overarching thing, who knows? Um, and that's it. And I know it's cops, and that maybe isn't like a, as fun of a subject. Um, but even still, I think like this idea is there, like crime solving, people doing the right thing, cops being good people, <laughs> all could be the potential. This is a like, fantasy, anything can happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think this could be interesting of like, you take that again, you can set it in whatever decade you want to make the story happen, but it all falls under this like law and order banner, which could be really fun. Would you want to cut between like the police and then the lawyers trying the case or would you want to do it where it's like first three issues are the investigation, second three issues are the trial? Oh, Ooh. oh, Brian, you've just remind you just put an idea in my head no it's every other issue is like cut between first issue is the cop side second issue is like the lawyer side then you know and then we get to the end and maybe even like you could change it up whoever's writing right maybe it's a half and half right or like you could where half the issues about the cops half the issues about the lawyers and we do like a middle point where they meet and they discuss because i forgot that's like the other half of law and order um because there's the law and then there's the order right like that's <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I, that would be yeah it would be interesting and again maybe maybe this is like eight issues instead or something like that where we can get a little bit of things split but like could be interesting to see how that that dynamic would shake up but i think law and order here it's like easy easy formula to adapt put it into a kind of an oversized comic and you've got like a really cheap you only need to pick up like one issue at a time you don't even have to be up to date like there is really no big continuity to law and order there's just like crime solve the end right I, you know, I, you put that in the stupid category, but I think that that's actually a really good idea for sure. a, for a comic. I mean, there are there is an audience for for those kind of books, and I think that I think that that could work. Mm -hmm. I like I like the idea, especially of six like six to eight a year 
oversized. Mm-hmm. It is not an every month kind of thing. I think that is a really solid idea. Also, I need to request that uh, there at the on the first page there is always a uh, a thing that a little block in the corner that just says dun dun. You know, you got you got to have that at the opening. When you get the hardcover, it opens up like a like a greeting card, and it actually plays the Law and Order uh, like noise that they get. That's doable because that uh, that Kong Godzilla Justice League book is going to have that. When you open it up, it makes the exactly. Well, anyways, I'll move this out of like the best idea ever, or move this into the best idea ever category, I guess. But I don't know. I I think really quick. Do you guys have any other burning options that you were thinking about? I think we got time for like one or two, maybe. I want an ongoing rocket power book. (laughs) The old Nickelodeon, like, extreme sports cartoon. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I just think the world is ready for that. I think that Renee specifically is ready for that. Yes. Renee is specifically ready to write that, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just think it could be fun. Like, update it to the modern age. You know, have these kids, you know, like, 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, Just, like getting into skateboarding hasn't there been kind of like a renaissance of of like skateboarding and stuff for the last few years yeah i think so once kids were able to like go outside and freely associate with other kids yeah i think yeah yeah interesting so would you see this as like like a kid's comic then or would this be like the full idw treatment where they take like a beloved like children's property and kind of make it all ages teeny maybe adult oriented because like mighty Morphin power rangers which is the one that i keep going back to because it's had such a good like renaissance i think absolutely has taken that and they've kind of skewed it a little bit older getting away from like the this is just violence instead it's like there's some drama there's some character development there's some stuff that i think would be more adult adult oriented because they're kind of just edging not between high school and college kids yeah, definitely like a li- aim a little older, I think. So not not for like the seven, eight, nine year old crowd, but for the 13, 14 year old crowd. Um, but I mean, it is at its heart like it's a kid's show. I don't want them to make like the gritty adult tales of <laughs> rocket power. <laughs> our dad died and we had to skateboard to save our own lives. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to watch the squid deal with substance abuse or something. <laughs> oh my God. Danny said, this is like one of our most niche episodes. I totally agree. Um, hell yeah. I appreciate that. This bill, Brian, because I love the hell out of that four season show. Um, Man, this this so yeah, okay. I could see this being good. Like maybe like a season by season type comic series or something like that. Maybe a series of original graphic novels. Yeah, like ongoing, but each like five or six issues is like a different sport or a different time of year. So maybe like this six issues is their their skiing or their snowboarding trip and Hell then yeah. they go to go to Hawaii to see Tito's family and there's just a lot you could do with it. I like that. That sounds like fun. I like that. Zach, what about you? You got one more? I do. I have, I have one more in me, and I, I, I feel just as strongly as Battletech because back in the age when the internet was still young, I was convinced that there was a comic book out there for this, and there freaking wasn't. <laughs> and okay. it is Chrono Trigger. It was a, a Squaresoft RPG. Uh, it was the first RPG video game I ever played and to this day is my favorite. And I I stand by my argument that it is the best damn RPG ever made and no one will okay. ever convince me otherwise, <laughs> period. 
I think it'd be fun. It's it was this fun uh, like time traveling game where the, you're this main character Chrono, and he it was back in the era of the silent main character because you know mm-hmm. you could change his name and make him you. And and uh, Chrono and his friends, he, like you met new people along the way as you're traveling through time, and eventually you realize that like the ultimate goal is to stop the world and time from being destroyed by this creature named Lavos. But a lot of different things happen in different time periods. Like you go back to the prehistoric age and you meet a cave girl and she becomes part of your team. You go to the end of time. And from there you can go to different time periods and you meet the guy who keeps that. And there's, there's so much going on and there's, it was so good. And here's the thing, the, the instruction booklet and all of the art was done by Akira Toriyama. Yeah. And and so it was legit. And I was convinced that this was based on a manga somewhere in Japan that never got here. And I was I was just waiting for the day that it would finally come over until the Internet got good. And I realized that doesn't exist. There was mm-hmm. a one shot once. That's it. So I want that. I want what teenage Zach couldn't have. I want a Chrono Trigger <laughs> adaptation. It can be like a I, I kind of like what you were doing there, like maybe like a, the last Ronin treatment where it's a couple big, mm. you know, oversized volumes. Um, and uh, you could totally t- like tell the story. And once the story is over, you could still do other hijinks. Bill and Ted got three movies. Why couldn't Chrono Trigger <laughs> move forward and get lots of time travel shenanigans too? Sure. And, uh, and get I want, progressively weirder. Yeah. You've got to. You've absolutely got to. Yeah. And I want Daniel Warren Johnson to read it for his his uh, emotional punches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the the person, if Akira Toriyama can't come back, at least for covers, I want Heining to, to be the artist. If you're not familiar with Heining, she is kind of new to Western comics, but her work on Spirit World is bonkers over at dc it is gorgeous and colorful and vibrant and she would be great i think to get her hands on the chrono trigger characters so that would be pretty sweet yeah i I don't think akira toriyama is drawing anymore but dragon ball super is drawn by toyu taro which is like a he's known for doing the i was reincarnated as as uh as uh uh dragon ball yamcha and he like saves yamcha's life it's a really stupid (laughs) manga Uh that i love to death um (laughs) but he did that and then uh he now he's drawing dragon ball super so maybe you get that guy to do covers um i don't know how that works in terms of like getting like japanese artists who are on probably like a very strict contract with with their company to to do stuff but hey peach momoko has has come out and done stuff so i don't know she was she was on my list of possibilities to draw this as well but then i was like you know i want i want heining because man her art's phenomenal in that book that's cool. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to just drop one more. I got I got one more special one. What you got? I had two in my well duh one, and I feel like my first one's not as great as my second. But I did have Super Mario on the list. It, I feel like this is a kids oriented thing. We don't have to talk about it. But the one I do want to talk about is Indiana Jones. And I know, I know there have been Indiana Jones comics in the past. They have floundered. I was recently talking to someone on another Discord server about like where are the Indiana Jones comics at? Why do these not exist? How come this isn't just an ongoing forever property? It seems like Indiana Jones has that opportunity, right? Like their adventure style comics. Every arc opens up with Indy on another journey to some other place, some made up country at this point, because that's how we probably have to do it. <laughs> um, I don't know like how any of this fits into a realistic timeline, but just like every episode, it's 1927 or 1938 or 
1941 or whatever like as long as indiana jones is punching nazis heads in and finding cool artifacts for people like that's a cool book i think we maybe remove some of the imperialist this belongs in a museum kind of stuff and maybe turn it over to like indiana jones reluctantly always turns over the artifact back to the culture that it belongs to but he does admit like it doesn't matter this is an adventure it was a fun time there's like a formula there i think that you can actually turn into a good series very similar to like james bond where like something strange happens to james bond he's got to find a way to get a gun and kill a guy um he falls in love with someone who ends up hating him you know that that kind of thing i think it's it's there but yeah i think it could be a fun bit to explore um introduce a whole plethora of new friends and family uh, for like a decade worth of stories and then fold it all up with indie just retiring right i think it's going to probably be better than the indiana jones movies are doing so um i think you could do this as like a 10 year long like ongoing and then just kind of like cap the entire indiana jones series like maybe retell some of the movies in these comics as well as exploring new um adventures so that's the that's the last one that i had i dig that and you give it like a I mean, you could give it like a really cool, like pulp, pulpy kind of style mm-hmm. for the art. I think that would be a lot of fun. I would, man, yeah, I would read that. I would read that. I, I feel like Indiana Jones has the same kind of longevity that Hellboy does in some ways, where there's always a new adventure or a new cryptid or a new strange thing to look into. I think we avoid aliens. I think we avoid time <laughs> travel um, and just stick to adventures and weird mysticism and like monsters and ancient you know relics and stuff and just just leave it to that so it i think it has likes yeah you could do it the way that that hellboy style of just jumping around to time periods like it doesn't have to be linear you exactly this one's 1936 this is a young indie this is an older indie you know like that yeah absolutely so just throwing it out there idw give us a call um we're ideas people we got um, ideas i guess uh to wrap things up zach thank you for bringing this idea to us this is a really fun weird thing to explore and uh, hopefully the folks at home have some ideas and can lobby for for these types of stories to get made in the future um, i don't know how we do that but as comics fans i think we can try to demand whatever we want and be met with shut up so um <laughs> I guess uh, to wrap things up for all of us, uh, next week's episode is going to be me and Nick and Paul, plus a very special guest, Brandon Ingram, is going to be back on the show. We're going to be talking about Brandon's newest Kickstarter, plus just comics and stuff, and Brandon's experience in his last Kickstarter that he did, so it's going to be fun. Um, Infinity Shred is the best band of the universe. They do all of our music. Xander likes to shrink down to the size of a frog and go on little adventures in sunny afternoons. I want to say thank you to Paul for proof listening to this episode. Thank you to everyone listening live. You're fantastic human beings. Thank you to Zach and Brian for being here today with me. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Comics are good.